0: To the MMA Discourse Podcast, I am your host, Blake Horton. I am here in the Silent W Studios. I have my can of Pepsi, I have my faithful dog Stanley here by my feet, and we've got to talk about some MMA. Let's get started with uh, the fights from this past weekend UFC Fight Night uh, Figueiredo versus Benavidez 2. This fight was a rematch of of these guys' fight where they were supposed to decide the UFC Flyweight Championship. Figueredo missed weight in that first fight, so he was not able to compete for the title. He ended up winning the last bout, and so the championship was left vacant. They decided to run it back. There was an incidental headbutt in the first fight, seemed to kind of change the tide of the fight, and uh, so... I was all for them putting this fight back together to decide the UFC Flyweight Championship. In the main event, it was Davidson Figuero defeating Joseph Benavidez via technical submission, via rear naked choke, at 4.48 in the first round. Completely different fight from the last fight. Uh, In the last fight, Benavidez had a really good showing in the first round, and ultimately, right up until that headbutt, and then Figueiredo was able to get the knockout victory. Um, in this fight, this was all Figueiredo from the beginning. He did whatever he wanted to. Benavidez uh, dropped him several times in the fight. Uh, had his back several times. Uh, Benavidez, give him credit, man. He was, he was a tough out. A lot of fighters would have been finished long before he was. Um, but ultimately, he succumbs to the rear naked choke. And uh, in the first round, and we have a new flyweight champion, Davidson Figueroa. With this victory, um, Figueroa moves to 19-1 overall, and he is 8-1 in the UFC. In his eight UFC victories, he has six finishes, including his last three straight. Um, What's next for Figueroa? I think he is one of the most dynamic flyweights in the division and in the world, and um, he's got options. He hasn't fought uh, a lot of these guys at the top of the flyweight rankings. Let's go through the flyweight rankings, which have not been updated yet. They still have Figueroa as the number one ranked with the title being vacant. Um, So, uh, off that we have um, Joseph Benavidez is ranked... Uh, second, I guess, um, but he's just lost, so he will not be in title contention. Um, Brandon Moreno is the n- is the next guy down, and I think he he makes sense for Figueredo's next bout. Um, uh, let's see, Moreno is uh, has a record of six two and one in the UFC, and he is undefeated in his last four bouts. I think that he is the rightful matchup for uh, Figueiredo. Now, um, there's some other guys there. Uh, let's go to these rankings. Um, Andre Pancho, Alex Perez, Jusser Formiga, um, Askar Askarov could be an interesting mat- uh, matchup. He um, He's had a, rec- a good run here recently. Kaikara France, and then on down... Um, but I think Brandon Moreno is probably the next up for figueredo at, to defend his UFC flyweight championship. Uh, unfortunately for Benavidez, he comes up short in this bid for the UFC title. Um, you know he's always kind of been right there, but has never been able to win that big one. And at 35 years old. This was probably his last opportunity at a UFC championship, um, that, you know. But he he has a he's had a really really good career. Uh, in my opinion, I think he should be a Hall of Famer. I mean, if you really look at his record and his resume, yes, he never won a UFC title. But let's do a little rundown of his current record. Um, he's twenty eight and seven. But his losses are twice to Dominic Cruz, twice to Demetrius Johnson, twice to Figueroa, and his other loss was to Sergio Pettis. Five of those losses were title fights, and three of them were split decisions. And he is, and we can't forget he is uh, one of two men to have a victory over Henry Cejudo. And we can't forget his biggest accomplishment, Marrying Megan Olivi, of course. Um, but man, you know, I don't know how much Benavidez has, has left. He says he wants to fight at least one one more. He wants to go out with a win. Um, I'm all for it. You know, he's he's still a top, you know, three fighter in his division, and um, you know, unfortunately, never was able to capture that big one. But hat tip to joseph benavidez for a very successful career despite not winning that ufc title in the co-main event we had uh jack hermanson with an upset victory over kelvin gaslin via submission heel- with a heel hook in round one just a little over a minute in man this is a you know i did not see this i did not see a heel hook finish um Hermanson's crafty man. He's one of those tricky, tricky guys. He's got unique attacks. He kind of attacks from odd angles, especially in his grappling. He's got some unusual chokes, um, and he's he's really good. Um, you know, he's kind of had a a kind of a weird um, UFC career, um, but he is 21 and five now. He's eight and three in the UFC. He's five and one in his last six. His loss coming to Jared Cannonier, who is you know right up there in title shot contention, um, middleweight is really kind of log jammed right now, especially for a guy like Hermanson. Um, you know, he said he wants uh, the winner of Whitaker versus Till, you know, uh, to decide in the next number one contender. But you still have Jared Cannonier out there who who has a victory over Hermanson. Um, You know, and then, you know, you could always have Whitaker or Till land a really impressive victory, and they could leapfrog Cannoneer, and then where does that leave Hermanson? Um, You know, Paulo Costa is next in line for the champion Adesanya. You know, who knows what's going to happen in that fight. You know, if that's a close fight, um, especially if Costa wins a close fight, I could see them giving Adesanya the rematch. Um, So... Hermanson's kind of in a tough spot. Um, I guess he could hope for a lackluster decision victory for either Whitaker or Till. And then, yeah, maybe he gets the winner of that fight. But unfortunately it's, it looks to me that Hermanson has a very good shot of once again, fighting somebody coming off of a loss. (laughs) Um, you know, that could be, uh, the loser of the Whitaker Till fight, which we'll get to later in the show. Um, You know, it could be the the loser of the Adesanya-Costa fight, um, or or even it could be somebody like Yoel Romero. Um, But, you know, there's just not a lot of guys there with uh, kind of momentum going right now. Um, Cannoneer, but like I said, Hermanson just lost to Cannoneer pretty recently. So I, I don't know what's next for Hermanson. Like I said, I think it'll be somebody coming off of a loss as opposed to somebody coming off of a win. Um, because I wouldn't be surprised if the winner of Whitaker Till uh, maybe jumps to the front of the line in that title shot queue. Uh, As for Kelvin Gastelum, um, he's now on a three-fight skid. Um, he lost the fight of the year to I- to Israel Adesanya for the interim middleweight title, and then he had a, a kind of a weird split decision loss to Darren Till, and now this loss via heel hook. To Jack Hermanson, Um, if I was a part of his team, I would tell Gastelum to maybe take a little time off, maybe try to add some new wrinkles to his game. Um, You know, he's he's only 28. I I think he can afford to take some time off right here. Take a year off, go learn a new hold, go go learn some striking. um, You know, sharpen up his jujitsu a little bit. I think he has, at the point of this career, he, he has the ability to take a step back and, and try, try to make some changes, try to like a try, try to add some, some new wrinkles and tactics and strategy um, to his game. Um, you know, if, if I were him, I, I think Kelvin Gaslam's one of those guys that could really benefit from that split in the lightweight division you know we split that up into two divisions a 165 and a 175 division I think he would be a very formidable contender at that 175 um division you know he has a he's had a hard time making 170 but but he's pretty under I mean he seems to be undersized at middleweight um as successful as he's been you know he had the loss to Weidman um Weidman's a very very big middleweight and the grappling ultimately proved um to be Gastelum's downfall in that fight. Um so, you know, I think he would benefit. I don't know if the UFC wants to put that in. I would like for them to put that in and I think a guy like Gastelum could really benefit from that. Um like I said, I I want to see him take a break here, but if he wants to keep up on his current schedule, you know, I I he did I don't think he suffered a major injury in this fight, so I would look for him to maybe get back in there actually really quickly if he wants. And, you know, after, you know, he's on a three-fight losing streak, I think he needs to to maybe take a step back in level of competition. And I think that I maybe put him against um, Marvin Vittori, who's kind of an upstart in this division. He is three—he's on a three-fight win streak, actually— Um, following his split decision loss to Adesanya. um, But he's only ranked 14th, and I think uh, that's a winnable fight for Gastelum. I think that could be a springboard springboard for Vittori uh, if he were to to defeat Gastelum. Um, But I I think Gastelum needs to drop down in the rankings and kind of find somebody, uh, get a win on his belt, and and then figure out how to move forward. But like I said, I, I would like to see Gastelum uh, take a little bit of time off. Um, on down that fight night card, um, you know, we had some good fights. We had uh, Rafael Fizeve, or excuse me, Fizev versus Mike Diacy, um, decision victory 30, 27, 29, 28, 29, 28. Uh, this had a, a highlight moment where uh, Fiazev did the old matrix to avoid a head kick It's pretty gnarly. Um, There's actually videos of him doing that in kickboxing competition as well. Uh, very good win for them. Um, that got fight of the night. It was a really good fight. Ariana Lipsky with a nasty knee bar submission over Luna Coralina. Um, brutal finish. Uh, and I think this was like maybe the only card that had two leg lock submissions in the main card. Uh, which is kind of interesting. But that knee bar was super nasty. Um, and then we had Askar Askarov. Uh, with a victory over Alexandre Penteau in a uh, a really, you know, those guys are top five flyweights, so Askarov could move himself into position for that flyweight title if they don't give it to Brandon Moreno, as we talked about earlier. Um, on the prelim card, we had Grant Dawson picked up a really nice victory, Uh Joel Alvarez defeats Joe Duffy via guillotine choke. Duffy announced his retirement from MMA. He is most most famous for defeating Conor McGregor um, back in Cage Warriors, I believe. Uh, Brett Johns gets a nice victory. Um, you know, it was a good fight card. You know, it was it was some competitive fights, some really good finishes. Uh, like I said, the knee bar with uh, for Lipsky. And then the heel hook for Manson, and then the domination of Figueroa. A pretty good card this this last weekend, and we have a new flyweight champion. His name is Davidson Figueroa. I am curious to see what kind of run he will put together in that lightweight or in that flyweight, excuse me, division moving forward. All right, um, that's all I really want to talk about for that card. Um, we're gonna move on, and we're gonna talk about. This weekend's card. It'll actually be, I'm recording this on Friday, so it'll be tomorrow's card uh, with a main event of Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. But first, let's do this week in MMA history. Set up a twister, it looks like. He is. He's got a twister. Oh. Final seconds of the round. Charlie's oh, got the UFC traveled to it. Alberta, Canada for UFC 240 which featured the last successful featherweight title defense of Max Holloway. Coming off a loss in his last fight against Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title and recent health concerns, there were questions about how Max would look. But after five competitive rounds with Frankie Edgar, Holloway scored a unanimous decision victory with scores of 50-45, 49-46, and 48-47 to defend his title for the third and final time. In the co-main event, Chris Cyborg rebounded from her knockout loss to Amanda Nunez with a one-sided decision victory over Felicia Spencer. It would be Cyborg's final fight with the promotion. Five years ago at UFC on Fox 16, TJ Dillashaw proved his first victory over Hinnemaral wasn't a fluke as he finished the former Bantamweight champion in the fourth round. He would go on to lose the title to Dominic Cruz in his next bout. Barrau, however, never seemed to be the same fighter after his bouts with Dillashaw. He only went 1-6 after his second loss to Dillashaw before leaving the promotion. In the co-main event, Misha Tate earned a women's bantamweight title shot with a decision victory over Jessica I. Tate would go on to defeat Holly Holm in one of the greatest comebacks in UFC history to become the UFC women's bantamweight champion. 23 years ago, UFC 14 took place and featured a heavyweight title bout as well as two tournaments. In the main event, kickboxer Marie Smith entered the fight with a record of just 5-7, and seven, yet won a decision victory over the champion Mark Coleman to become the promotion's second heavyweight champion. Smith would go on to defend his title once against Tank Abbott before losing the title to Randy Couture in December of 1997. The previously undefeated Coleman would go on to lose his next two fights before leaving the UFC. However, he would return in 2009 for a three-fight run in which he defeated Stefan Bonner to capture his first UFC victory in 12 years. Kevin Jackson and Mark Kerr would win the middleweight and heavyweight tournaments respectively, with Kerr winning his final via submission with quote, chin to the eye. That's it for this week in MMA history. Now back to the rest of the show. All right, let's get into this weekend's card. This is UFC on ESPN featuring the main event of Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till in a middleweight bout. Uh, Big, big title implications here for both men. Uh, Darren Till, just his second middleweight fight, but he has opportunity with an with an impressive victory to move into a title shot, and which would be a very interesting fight between him and Israel Adesanya. Whitaker looking to get the rematch um, with an impressive victory of his own. Let's get into this fight, Robert Whitaker. The former middleweight champion enters this fight at 20-5 and five overall. He is 11-3 in the UFC. He is the favorite at minus 135, according to MyBookie.com. He's facing Darren Till, who is 18-2-1. Two, two uh, he is 6-2-1 in the UFC. He is the slight underdog at plus 105. Uh, this is a really, really interesting bout. Both of these guys, former welterweights, um, and both guys are legit middleweights, I believe. you know Whit- Whitaker was the former middleweight champion till looked very big and and had a good showing in his last by his last fight against Kelvin Gaslam. Um, what I'm looking forward in this fight to seeing is if Whitaker maybe has that GSP kind of morphine to his game. We've heard, that Whitaker is a very, very good wrestler, and he has been compared to GSP as a guy who didn't wrestle till he started doing MMA, but he qualified for a like national team <laughs> in Australia, and uh, so he's a very, very good wrestler. And he just doesn't show it very often, um, other than defensively. I think that he really needed to try to work that wrestling. I was really looking forward to him seeing what he would, how he would approach. Israel Adesanya and he didn't try to wrestle at all and he had some success on the feet but ultimately you know was knocked out by Adesanya twice really um, and just never seemed like he wanted to wrestle. Um, I think we might start seeing more of that from Whitaker as he tries to make his way back to the UFC championship. Um, so I'm really curious to see if he tries to wrestle till at all or if it basically stays a striking bout. I want to see him wrestle, um, and I want to see Till's wrestling tested at the uh, 185-pound limit. As for Till, I think he really, really needs to control the pace of this fight. He cannot let Robert Whitaker dictate the pace of this fight. If he does, I think that Whitaker will win. I think Till really needs to slow this fight down, and really kind of chooses spots, spots much like he did against Gastelum. Um, I think he really needs to kind of slow that pace and, and unless he starts finding success, and then maybe he can find spots to turn on the gas. But if I were to, I'd really try to make this kind of a boring fight. Um, but as far as a victory goes, I'm going to pick Robert Whittaker to win this fight. I think he'll incorporate a little wrestling, and I think he might even be the better striker. I think Till might have the power advantage and he's a very good counter striker. Um, this is an interesting bout. I think that it will go to a decision and I'm going to pick Robert Whitaker to rebound and get the decision victory and keep his name at the top of that contender queue up there with Paulo Costa and Jared Cannonier, And, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting fight. I'm, I'm really interested to see how both guys approach the other. And, and like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing if Whitaker will incorporate some of that wrestling. As we move down the card in the co-main event, we have Shogun Hua uh, facing Little Nog. And this, you know, these guys have fought twice. Shogun has won both fights. They had a fight of the year contender back in 2005, I believe when they were both in pride. And, uh, you know, Little Nog has said this is probably going to be his last fight. Shogun's coming to the end of his career as well. These guys aren't as good as they once were, uh, but, you know, maybe they can be as good once as they ever were. <laughs> and, uh, you know, look at these guys' records. Shogun's 26 11 and 1. He's 10 and 9 in the UFC. He is the favorite in this fight. He's a minus 190 favorite. Uh, Lil Nog comes in at 23 and 9. He is 6 and 6 in the UFC. He is plus 155, uh, the underdog in this fight, according to MyBookie.com. You know, I I really think at this point in their careers, both these guys have had some kind of losses to some guys that you wouldn't think they would lose to. Shogun had that you know, draw in his last fight against Paul Craig, in in which he he looked good, but then really just went downhill towards the end of the fight and uh, got a 10-8 round against him. And, you know, Nogueira's had some ups and downs. Like I said, he's 500 in the UFC. Um, But I think at this point in their careers, I think Shogun is the more vulnerable fighter. Um, It seems like once he starts taking damage, he really... Uh, his, his, output goes way downhill and, and he lets guys just kind of overwhelm him. Um, and Noguera has the ability to do that. Both these guys could have the ability to finish the other, but I'm actually going to go with the underdog here. I'm going to pick little Nog to get a victory in what could be his last fight in his career. Um, I think he, I think he's going to TKO Shogun Hua in the second round, um, but man, this is anybody's fight. This is a close fight. Um, the odds, you know, Shogun's on minus 190, Little Nog's plus 155. That's not huge odds, uh, but I'm gonna go with the underdog. I'm gonna go with Little Nog to get the job done and win against Shogun Hua, who, at, like I said, at this point in their career, I just think Shogun has the more vulnerable chin and you know his gas tank or or his. Uh, you know, the way he takes damage seems to really affect him later in fights, um, and I think Lil Nog is going to capitalize on that. But you know, Shogun still got skills. Shogun could go out there and, and knock out Lil Nog in, in the first round just as well. But if I'm going to put money on this, I'm going to go with the underdog and go with Noguera. Um An interesting fight. I think this is the most interesting fight on the on, on this card. Um, and it features former UFC heavyweight champion Fabrizio Verdum uh, in his second fight since his suspension, um, coming off a loss against uh, Alexio Olenek. He's going to be taking on former light heavyweight title contender Alexander Gustafsson, who's moving up to heavyweight uh, after a layoff himself. I'm curious to see... I said, I think this is the most interesting fight. I'm really curious to see how both guys look in this fight. Fabrizio Verdum uh, lost via split decision against Alexio Olenek in his last fight. In a fight where he definitely had his moments, but he took he took a beating against Olenek in the early in the fight. Uh, was able to rebound and, and use his grappling to kind of stifle Olenek, but ultimately ended up on the wrong side of the decision. But... Verdum really, really looked out of shape going into that fight, um, and, and he looked rusty off the long layoff. Um, I'm equally concerned and and uh, curious to see how Alexander Gustafson looks at heavyweight. They had weigh-ins this morning. He weighed in at 240 pounds. You know, that's 35 extra pounds from when he was fighting at light heavyweight. Um Could this move be beneficial to Gustafson? Very. Um, If he's able to translate his skill set that he showed at 205, and he's able to use um, the speed of a 205-er with a little extra power and able to implement his same game plan, he could be a real contender at this heavyweight division. But we've seen in the past with guys um, who have moved up in weight most notably, like Luke Rockhold, went up to 205. He just he seemed like a completely different fighter. And, and Gustafson, I could see his style where he usually he uses very good footwork, uses angles, and he uses his long reach to, to get off on his striking. I could see with the extra weight that that maybe work against his strategy and game plan that he normally likes to employ and could ultimately make him vulnerable at heavyweight as well but I'm really really curious to see this um we go into the records a little bit Fabricio Verduum the former heavyweight champion is 23-9-1 he's 11 and 6 in the UFC he is the underdog in this fight and he is a large underdog he's plus 255 underdog against Gustafsson who's 18 and 6 he's 10 and 6 in the UFC he is your minus 315 favorite I think if you want to put money on this fight, I think Verdum is actually a really good... Uh, you get really good betting value there. Um, yes, he's been finished. Um, but, you know, his strengths are maybe Gustafson's weaknesses. You know, Gustafson, we've seen him... Uh, you know, he, he lost his last fight against Anthony Smith via submission. So that might be a, an opportunity for Verdum to win this fight is his grappling. And Verdum has shown in the past that he has really good striking as well. Um, so I think money-wise, value-wise, I think for Fabrizio Verdum is a good value there at plus 255. Uh, but I'm going to lean towards the favorite in this fight. I'm going to lean towards Alexander Gustafson to get the job done. Um, and, and I could see him getting a finish over Fabrizio Verdum late in the fight. Um, it's a... Uh, it's an interesting matchup, man. I'm really curious to see how Gustafson can do at heavyweight, and you know, in heavyweight, it doesn't take much to get you get yourself into a title fight. Uh, we have the fight against Stipe and Cormier. Um, if Cormier wins, he's more than likely going to vacate the belt, um, you know, and then Stipe maybe gets in the in the inner or you know in the vacant title fight against uh, Ngannou. But if Gustafson gets a impressive victory here over Verdum, you know the UFC could maybe go with like a nganu versus um, Gustafson t- uh, fight for the vacant title, especially if Stepe loses badly to DC. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what Gustafson, Gustafson can do. As much as I would like to see Verdum get a get a bounce back victory and kind of. Put himself back in a contention. I think he's way farther down the line. Uh, He's going to need multiple wins to earn a title shot. But I think Gustafson comes in and makes a splash in this fight. And puts himself up in the list of contenders for the heavyweight title. Um, Let's see. What else we got on this card? Also on the main card, we have... This is a pretty interesting fight here. Um and I think it's kind of flying under the radar a little bit, Uh, it it features a women's strawweight, which, if you ask me, women's strawweight is possibly the best division in the UFC as far as excitement level. Um, You know, you don't get disappointing fights usually in the women's strawweight division. Um, You know, know, Wei-Lei Zhang, uh, Rose Namajunas, Joanna, Jessica Andrade, um, you know... Those guys, those, that's a list of very top-tier, exciting fighters. And uh, this is kind of that next tier down, and it features a former champion, Carla Esparza, facing off against Marina Rodriguez. Rodriguez is the favorite, minus-185 favorite. She is 2-0-2 since winning on the Contender Series. All her fights in the UFC have went to decision, uh, Carla Esparza is a plus 155 underdog. She is 6-3 since her uh, title loss against Joanna. Two of those losses were split decisions. Um, one of those was against Claudia Gedalia, which I thought Esparza won that fight. Um, with a win, she could work her way in. I think the winner of this fight gets like somebody like a Joanna or a Jessica Andrade in their next fight. So, you know, Esparza kind of quietly working her way back into title contention. Marina Rodriguez is right up there in the rankings as well. Let's check out the women's uh, strawweight rankings. We have uh, Lei Zhang is the champion. Rose Namajunas will more than likely get the next shot. Jessica Andrade is ranked second. Ioana is third. We have Tatiana Suarez who's tied with Ioana at third. Um, she's kind of the dark horse in this. We don't know what's next for her um, I think she's ready as far as a record for a title shot. Um, but w- with this long layoff, I think she's probably going to have to get a victory. Uh, before then, we have Nina Ansaroff, who's currently off. And then we have Claudia Adelia, Carla Esparza, Michelle Waterson, and then Marina Rodriguez is ninth. Um, so even though Rodriguez is the lower-ranked fighter, she is uh, favored in this fight against Esparza. Esparza is a tricky fighter, man. Her fights uh, her fight against uh, Michelle Watterson was very, very interesting. Uh, you know, Carla Esparza will push forward. She is not afraid to get hit and she likes to wrestle and she, and she her striking has improved quite a bit. Um, she doesn't have a real high output, but you know you try to engage with her she'll get engaged back and then use her striking to try to work into a wrestling. Um, I think I'm going to go with Esparza in this fight. Um, I think she's fought the better competition. Uh, Rodriguez has some good wins, but um, you know Rodriguez doesn't seem to be a finisher. And I think if you let Esparza hang around, she can win rounds. And I'm going to pick Esparza as the underdog to win in this fight. And I think she gets somebody like a Gedalia or a Joanna in her next fight. Um, let's see. What else do we have on this card? Let me pull up the card here. Uh, Paul Craig versus Antigulov. Um, a light heavyweight fight. Paul Craig, I believe, is coming off of that draw against Shogun in his last fight. Um, let's see. Yes, that was his last fight was against Shogun in that draw. He is facing Antigulov, who is currently... Uh, 20-6, and but he is coming off two straight losses. I think that Paul Craig is probably the better fighter in that fight. I'm going to favor Paul Craig. Um, Cowboy Oliveira versus Peter Sabata should be a really exciting fight. I'm going to go with Cowboy Oliveira to win that. Um, Let's see, on down the card, um, Tanner Boser versus Rafael Pessoa. Tanner Boser had a really impressive victory. That's a heavyweight fight. Um, he won by knockout in his last fight. Uh, I'm curious to see what he looks like in his next bout. Um, and then we kind of kind of a sneaky little fight here. Betch Cohea versus Panny Kinzade. Um, Kinzade is favored in that fight, but I think I would go with the underdog in that fight. If you're looking for a little value on the betting, I would say maybe go with Betch Cohea in that fight. Um, but the main card is very good. There should be some really exciting fights on there. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to the main event between, between Whitaker and Till uh, to see that matchup. Hua and Noguera always put on good fights. And then we have the heavyweight debut of Alexander Gustafson against a former heavyweight champion. This is a really, really good card. Um, and it's free on ESPN. So also available on ESPN. Plus. So I will be tuning in tomorrow to check this fight out, Um, and we don't really have, I've been trying to, you know, I usually try to incorporate some news and some notes in this, but it's really been kind of low-key on the news and notes, because everything's locked down. So, um, you know, we haven't really had any big stories. I guess we could talk a little bit about the Reebok Venom uh, deal, you know, um, where UFC is moving from the Reebok uh, uniforms or clothing, and they are, have now had a struck a deal with Venom to provide the fight kit. So uh, I guess that's a little bit of business news, but I mean, there's really just not a lot of news going around that's not coronavirus, COVID-19 related. And so we've just kind of been focusing on the fights here at the Discourse, and um so, so this is really going to kind of do it for this week's episode. Uh, we talked about last week's card. We talked about this upcoming card and the matchups. Um, I do have a couple of listener questions that we will get to. Let me pull them up here. Um, oh okay, yeah, here we go. This is a question from loyal listener Steven. After Max Holloway's loss, I have a question. How often does a fighter who drops the title ever go on a run and get it back? A run would be two or more fights before the next title fight. That's a very interesting question. Um, When I first started looking into this question, one name kind of really popped out, and that was GSP. Um, And he did this. GSP uh, lost the title to Matt Serra, and then he rebounded with a victory over Josh Koscheck, and then he won the interim title against Matt Hughes, and then ultimately came back and beat Sarah in the rematch to capture the title. So he was the one that really stuck out to me. This doesn't happen very often. I went ahead and researched this. I could find four instances of this happening at the UFC level. Um, GSP did it in the manner I just talked about. Tim Sylvia is another guy. Um, Tim Sylvia got stripped of the title uh, because he tested positive for steroids, I believe. He lost his next fight against Frank Mir. That's when he got his arm broke. He won his next fight, uh, and then he lost to Andre Arlovsky in an interim title fight. Um, he won two fights in the UFC, and then he beat Arlovsky to regain the belt. So he's a guy that kind of went and, and you know lost the title and then was able to work his way back after an extended run. Uh, TJ Dillashaw did this. He lost the belt. We talked about it earlier in the MMA history segment. TJ Dillashaw lost the belt to Dominic Cruz, and then he went on to beat Rafael Sunsau uh, and John Lineker, and then he beat Cody Garbrandt to recapture the title. And then another time it happened, the fourth time that I could find, uh, if you want to count it, Misha Tate lost the force title to Ronda Rousey. Uh, which ultimately became the UFC Bantamweight title when the UFC bought Strikeforce. Um, after that loss to Rousey, she beat Julie Kedsey. That was in Force. She lost her next two fights to Kat Zingano and then a loss to Ronda Rousey for the title. But then she went on to win four in a row and earned herself a title shot against Holly Holm and re- and beat home and became the UFC women's bantamweight champion. So it doesn't happen very often, but if a guy's going to do it, I think Max Holloway is the guy to do it. I thought he beat uh, Volkanovski in the rematch, um, but he has an opportunity to go and win two or three fights in that featherweight division and earn his way back to a title shot, whether that's against Volkanovski or whether somebody beats Volkanovski Uh, There's not too many guys that I would favor over Max Holloway in that UFC featherweight division. That's assuming he stays in that division. You know, he's uh, played with the idea of moving up to 155 pounds. So it's a tough road ahead uh, for Max Holloway to go on a run and get that title back. Um, But he he has the ability to do it. Um, Another question here. Who's the best fighter who was at the number one title contender spot but never got a title shot? Um, well, you have Tony Ferguson. Um, he comes to mind. Yes, he was interim uh, champion and, and had an opportunity to win the interim championship again um, before he lost to Justin Gaethje, but he never got a shot at the real belt. So I think he's probably number one on the list. Um, other guys that come to mind uh Jacare Souza. Um Jacare Souza, it was really really unfortunate that he didn't get a title shot that he really I thought he deserved. Um, he lost a Strike Force title to Luke Rockhold. He went on to win um, three fights in Strike Force before it got bought out by the UFC. He came into the UFC and went 7 and 1 in his first 8 fights. And that one loss was that split decision loss to Yoel Romero, which was controversial to say the least. Um, not only did people dispute the decision, me included, I thought Sousa won, but Yoel Romero had a really, really bad um, grabbing of the cage. that stopped to talk, take down. She, he should have been deducted a point. Um, he wasn't. Um, it made a you know, it made it impacted the fight, but even with that, I thought Souza won the fight, and I wasn't the only one. Only two out of seventeen media outlets scored the bout for Romero. I think a couple of them had it as a draw, but the consensus was that that Jacare won that fight. So, um, you know he, you know he could have easily been eight and zero in the UFC and never got a shot at the title. Um, after that run, he went on to to lose against. Robert Whittaker, and then, you know, he's been hit and miss since. But, man, he was right there, and he was one of the best middleweights in the world. And it was really unfortunate I thought that he didn't get his shot. So I would go Tony Ferguson first, Jacare Souza second, a couple other guys. Uh, we have T.J. Grant, who earned a lightweight title fight. Um, you know, it's kind of a mystery. You know, T.J. Grant, how good he could have been is kind of a mystery. Um, he didn't fight you know, the best competition at lightweight. Uh, He came in the UFC. He was a welterweight. He went one and one at welterweight. He lost to Ricardo Almeida in his second UFC fight at welterweight, and then he dropped down to lightweight for the first time in his career, and he rattled off five straight wins, earned a title shot. He beat, uh, I think he knocked out Gray Maynard uh, to earn that title shot. He was supposed to fight Benson Henderson. Uh, He suffered an injury. Had to pull out of that fight. Anthony Pettis stepped in. He was able to capture the lightweight title via submission over over Ben Henderson. And then they were looking to put the Pettis versus Grant fight together. And Grant suffered a concussion, and he, you know, he hasn't fought since. And I think he's pretty much retired. I know he was. Uh, I think there you know it's kind of rumored that he was in debt. And he didn't want to further go in, you know, risk going in debt by pursuing an MMA career. So, you know, maybe yes, he was a number one contender, but you know, his ceiling was kind of, you know, left to you know to be determined. Uh, You know, he could have won that title against Pettis and and went on a run, you know, Um, you know, or he could have came up short and then you know, you know, his competition that he fought at lightweight. You know, I think he fought Evan Dunham. He fought Gray Maynard. Um, you know, I, you know his, his level of competition wasn't, you know, the best, but he earned a title shot, and, you know, he could have beat Anthony Pettis with his, with his style. I think he could have beat Anthony Pettis. I think he could have beat Benson Anderson, you know, so it, it's kind of one of those up-in-the-air things how good T.J. Grant was, but he was good enough to earn the title shot. I think he was good enough to beat the champion, After that, I don't know. Um, And then one other guy that really kind of, you know, you always kind of wonder what could have been was a guy who earned a title shot, uh, and that's Carl Parisian. He was scheduled to face Matt Hughes, who was kind of the dominant champion at that time. Carl Parisian had lost to GSP in the UFC, but he bounced back and had... um, Three really really good victories. I think he also won the WEC championship in that time. Uh, I think that was after his loss to GSP. He won the WEC title, and then um, came back to the UFC. He fought uh, Nick Diaz, earned under a, a victory over Nick Diaz, earned a victory over Chris Lytle, and a victory over Matt Serra. And he was in line to face Matt Hughes. Unfortunately, injury took him out of that fight. I think he was replaced. I think that was when Hughes fought Joe Riggs. Um, you know, and Parisian never would have really, never really got close to a title shot again. Um, I, I really, really think at that time, Caro was a was a very difficult matchup for Matt Hughes. Uh, Matt Hughes, yes, very good, one of the best welterweights ever. He might have just, you know took caro down and ground and him for five rounds but on paper i thought parisian was a very interesting matchup had good striking had good power i think he had the striking advantage and he had the grappling chops to to give hughes problems as well Um, but injury kind of took him out and then you know ultimately parisian battled addiction with painkillers battled injury throughout the rest of his career and uh, i mean he 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 had some good fights in the UFC. After that, he had that fight of the year with Diego Sanchez. Um, you know, he had some good he had some good wins, and he, and he had some good fights. But he was just never able to get back to that title shot. Um, and it's a title shot. I think he had a really really good chance of winning. All right, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Um, please, please. Like, rate, review, and most importantly, share the podcast wherever and however you listen. We are available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Go to Facebook. Like our page there at facebook.com slash The MMA Discourse. Follow us on Twitter at The MMA Discourse. You can follow me on Twitter at Horton Blake. That's Horton with a W. W W-H-O-R-T-O-N. B L A K E at Horton Blake on Twitter. If you have any questions for the podcast you want me to answer, email them to the MMA discourse at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. We will try to be back next week. We'll review that Whitaker versus Till card and uh, we will preview the next card as well. Um, thank you for listening. Please stay healthy. Stay safe, and until next time, I'm Blake Horton, and this has been the MMA Discourse Podcast.